What if you could learn from physical product entrepreneurs that have risen up from the trenches to dominating their market by creating successful physical product brands? Well, this podcast is hosted by me, Kunay Campbell, and it's about breaking the mold to becoming a smarter, savvier, and better product entrepreneur. You discover how to take physical products from concept through launch and to scaling up from physical product entrepreneurs who've taken their revolutionary ideas to 1 million, 10 million, and 50 million plus in revenue businesses. You'll also join me on my journey to build a million dollar physical product brand business in a year, where we both will learn about crowdfunding, selling to retail chains, launching through marketplaces like Amazon, strategic partnerships, publicity, celebrity endorsements, and selling direct to consumers. So if you're creating or building a brand in the consumer packaged goods space, in fashion and apparel, business products, or any physical product niche, listen in because we have you covered. Join the fast track to physical product business success. This is the Physical Product Business Podcast. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. Hi guys, welcome to the Physical Product Podcast, part of the 2X e-commerce podcast. And as you know, I talk to product entrepreneurs, basically people who have been able to build or work with brands in the product space. And today I'm joined by a brand licensing expert called Mac Politi. He's got immense background in licensing. So think about brand licensing from the likes of Disney, Star Wars, Star Trek, X-Files, Looney Tunes, you name it. He has experience in getting products that have been licensed by these huge brands and accelerating the growth of product businesses. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mark to the show. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Could you take a minute or, or less to just introduce yourself so we could get this started? Yeah, my name is Mark Polini. Um, I, I, I've been working in licensing for over over 25 years. Um, I've basically produced consumer products for mo- many of the entertainment companies, um, TV shows, films, video games, and con- produced consumer products based upon um, those type of copyrights and trademarks that are... Uh, that are out there. We've rented those trademarks, so to speak, or licensed those trademarks from copyright holders to produce consumer products to sell in the retail, whether it's mass market, whether it's online, or um, through direct response television like QVC or HSM. And I've, I've been doing this most most of my career. Okay, that's very interesting because I, I checked out your, your LinkedIn profile and it's very, very, very detailed. It spans back, at least the records I have here, back in 1992, you're a licensee for for Sony Pictures, um, yeah. It's it's far far back. How did you get into the industry? Let's start from there. So out of college, um, I had this strange notion that it would be cool to be the person who um, you know picked out the image would be on a T-shirt, whether it was for a movie or a, or a film, not knowing how that worked. How you know who's that person that makes these these decisions on which artwork, which um, products sell or don't sell. I have no background in art whatsoever. I have an economics degree um, from college, so I just sort of went into it. I got hired for by a startup um, licensing and merchandising company called Xanart Publishing. They had two licensing deals for Looney Tunes and Batman. Um, when I started to work for them, Looney Tunes was not a very, you know, people were not buying a lot of Looney Tunes merchandise, but Batman in 1992 or 1990 for that matter, when I started, it was a pretty hot deal because Batman came out in 1989. And, the movie, um, yes. 
was the first Batman movie I worked on was Batman Returns. Okay. Um, we produced. We actually were walking around the sets of Batman Returns. We were. They asked us what kind of imagery we wanted. We pointed towards the the wall of the Penguin's lair. And we asked them if we could take the blueprints of the Batmobile, and we reproduced the top secret blueprints of the Batmobile <laughs> and sold those as posters. Kids lost their minds because they could actually, for you know, ten dollars buy all you know the front, the side, the back, and the front of the the blueprints of the Batmobile. So companies would come to us and come up. We would come up with ideas that would sell. Some would work. Some would, would wouldn't. But I got to work directly at Warner Brothers creating products for Batman and other films like that. That's fantastic. So I think I want to touch base on two aspects. Um, the cost of actually you know, getting a license and the evolution of the industry as far back as 1992. And now that we're in... Um, 2016 surely the the industry should have would have evolved so let's start let's start out with the evolution first so let's from your from your standpoint how has the licensing um you know um industry in your experience really changed over the years over the last 20 years so back back in the early 90s you know remember this is pre you know internet pre you know Mm. you know pre cell phones pre even color printers we um we would get a lot of the artwork from the from the licensees, the licensors, literally on color xeroxes or even some small digital files. So this was not like the internet and computers we see today. Now licensors provide artwork on you know with style guides and you know on on, on digital files and everything's done for you. But back then it was almost like the you know the ancient era of you know raw art. Um, also, a lot of times people didn't understand about licensing in the sense that if they would create a cart character or a movie or even a, a book or a film, they weren't as sophisticated as they, we are today that we're just assuming, okay, when a movie comes out, we're going to see a, a book and a soundtrack and a, you know, a, a McDonald's campaign for Happy Meals and whatnot. Um, it was sort of evolving. In fact, when they pr- first produced Batman in 1989, they were unprepared with how successful it was and they had to catch up to, to make merchandise. Um, so, you know, the, you know, we were, we, I sort of had to suffer through the, the, those eras where we, we didn't have digital to work with now. Um, you know, it's a lot, lot easier. And the, the other thing is that a lot of people that create copyrights that don't realize that they can actually make money by renting those copyrights through licensing. They, you know, a lot of businesses, non-entertainment based that own copyrights can make money for their, in, their actual individual business by renting that copyright to other third-party companies or getting a, 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 set, an, a licensing agent, so to speak, to do that for them. So, so how would you know your product is ripe for, for copywriting? For, so, so for uh, licensing, so, I don't know. But yeah, for licensing. It, it depends on the nature of the product. I mean, you have to have something that other people want. Um, a lot. The, the benefit about licensing, it's sort of like the real estate industry. In real estate, you rent an apartment. In the copyright industry, you're renting a copyright for the usage of time. So, for example, I worked on this film called Titanic, where, where the boat sank. And um, I went to 20th Century Fox. Actually, that summer, I went to 20th Century Fox, and I asked them, I said, do you want to do merchandise in the X-Files? And they weren't interested in merchandising the X-Files, but I said, what about this movie called Titanic? Well, Titanic was coming out in late December. It was over budget. They didn't necessarily think it was actually going to do as well as they, it ended up doing. Um, and I signed up to do posters for Titanic. Um, 
you know, I, I wrote them a check to pay, you know, pay for you know my advances, my royalties, and whatnot. And then I ended up, me and twelve other companies made the initial product on Titanic when it came out in March of '99. The hard part was is that we would sell, try to sell to buyers, and they're like, you know, we got this movie coming out, great, you know, it'll it'll do thirty million dollars, it'll be over with by next week. Next week does another thirty million dollars. Next week does another thirty million dollars. So they didn't know that it was going to do six hundred million dollars in six months and become at the time the biggest movie of all time. Um, so we had to sort of you know sort of chase around what that was about. Um, they they didn't have thousands of licensees like like a you know a Batman or a Harry Potter movie. They literally had twelve of us to start with, and then Titanic became a, a huge thing. It wasn't difficult selling posters on Titanic for, with Leonardo DiCaprio and all those imagery. But, you know, nonetheless, we had to take a risk to see if it was going to work or not. Okay, so you live in LA. Is, is that right? Or on the West Coast? I live, I live in Beverly Hills, correct. Be- Beverly Hills. Okay, so do you, do you think you, you're at a, at a vantage point given the fact that um, you have access, you could go to the studios, you could see what is quote-unquote emerging and kind of, you know, get it as early as possible, like your opportunity with um, Titanic? Or um, do you think this opportunity is open to everyone listening, regardless of their location? So, but typically what happened back when we would, you know, when I was back in the 90s, when I was producing posters for a living, we would literally buy licensing rights for 50, 60 movies a year, and we'd buy them two years ahead of time so we could make the product, create, the, you know, have the contracts and be ready to sell it at both retail stores when the movie came out and then when the DVD came out six months later. Now, um, things are a little different in the sense that, some, you know, you have digital properties that are mobile video games, you have, you know, PC video games, you have films that are properties, TVs that are properties, YouTube stars mm. that are properties that are live that two weeks ago didn't exist and now they have five million followers. So there are things that are predictable, like, you know, you know exactly which films are coming out next summer, like, like you know, I'm not working specifically on, but like Rogue One, Star Wars comes out this December. Yeah. A lot of their licensing program was put to bed two years ago, or three years ago, especially video games, so they'll release it and put out product at the time the film comes out. So, you know, the landscape out here in California, actually in America for that matter, whether it's here in New York, in New York or here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of companies that are working to license their, their product, whether it's for a physical product, digital product. Um, back in the in 2004, I, I became senior vice president of licensing and media relations for a company called Planetwide Games, and we produced a software called the Comic Book Creator. Um, we thought, you know, we were, we had made and published a, a massive multiplayer game called Risk Your Life. We thought, well, it'd be cool if we can take your game action out of your game and tell a story, you know, create a digital comic book. So we, we applied for some patents, we, we created an engine, and we built a, bit, a base engine called the Comic Creator software. Then we took my licensing expertise, I ended up taking 22 licensing meetings in two days in New York, and we showed the engine to different licensors. We showed it to DC Comics, we showed it to Marvel, we showed it to National Geographic, we showed it to Sony, and we ended up building different variations of that game engine. It was challenging because in 2004 we were basically negotiating user-generated content rights, which was right. 2004 they thought we were crazy. Like, what do you mean you want to put a, a word bubble over Spider-Man and let a kid make his own comic book? But Marvel gave us a license for the Marvel Heroes comic book creator. We won awards. How, how long? How long was the license? How long did the license last for? 
So that license lasted for two years. Typically, when you negotiate a license, you can let negotiate it for a year, two years. On average, most of my deals were two years, but you can negotiate a longer deal if you want to. It's, it's more expensive and it's more you're more locked into the amount of money, but some deals are pending on what, what the uh, individual company wants to do. Okay, how do you, um, we, how, how do you put a, a value on... Um, on on a license, do, who, who determines the price? I know, like for Star Wars, it, it would be definitely Disney, you know, dictating the price. But um, in how how how's a price arrived, and what what are your tip? What are the typical average prices in your last five deals? So you know, in in the in the art world, when I was producing paper and posters and lip collectibles, we were typically paying between ten and twelve percent licensing royalties, 20 percent of our wholesale sales prices of that. Licensing royalties can range from 5% to 20% of, of, of wholesale. Of wholesale purchase? Deal. or so, uh, so wholesale, buying the products from the suppliers. So if I, if my, my invoice from the suppliers was $10,000, are you saying 11 or 12% from that or? Correct, of, of your wholesale gross sales price. Gross sales, okay. So, but the thing is, like for example, on a, on a, on a, like say I got my, my poster rights for one of the films, mm -hmm. I have to project out how much revenue that program is going to make at wholesale for two years. Once I come up with that gross amount of money, they're going to expect ten percent, let's say ten percent of it, to be guaranteed, and I have to pay for that either all up front or fifty percent up front, and the rest over a term. Okay. Different licensing companies have different percentages depending on what they're looking for but there are certain industry averages that work for things and so it, it's a matter of the company that negotiates or is negotiating with the licensor what they're about to pay and sometimes on certain movies and certain properties they might have multiple companies make, making identical product like with a t-shirt company they could have six or seven different companies making t-shirts one for Walmart one for Kmart one for Target one for online and so, not not every license is, license is different. Okay. You know, on a movie like like Batman Returns, there was probably fifteen thousand licensees making product wow. in a, in a hundred and fifty countries across the country. So, so how so do you? So, so how do you? How do you, as the licensee, um, come up with the projections? Um, obviously, you don't have the footprint of a Walmart and the right. distribution of a Walmart. So, so how do you come up with a figure? that resonates well with whoever you're negotiating with? So it, it, it depends on, you know, it's like, it's like doing a business plan. You're doing projections and pro forma projections on what you think is going to be the nature of the product. Most licensors will not just give you a license without you paying some sort of advance and a guarantee. Um, these bigger movies, sometimes the, the guarantee is going to be the seven figures or more. Wow. Um, but it's a, ma a matter of your business model it making sense to spending that extra money. Sometimes people will spend, you know, eight percent of their gross revenue on advertising. Other people will take that eight or ten percent of gross revenue and buy a license. So instead of buying, you know, instead of paying for advertising, they're buying a brand license. So like in our comic creator situation, we bought a license for Spider-Man and X-Men and produced the Marvel Heroes comic creator, and we we didn't need to advertise Spider-Man. When you put that on the shelf, people knew what Spider-Man was. Yeah. So it was. It's basically like a almost like a prepaid advertising tool for some industries, mm -hmm. enabling you to rent a copyright from somebody else 
and benefit from their brands. So when you're selling in stores or you're online or you're you're looking a, a perfect example. I didn't work on this specifically. Was you know the Pokemon Go product that recently came out. The mm-hmm. Namcheck just you know they they came out two years ago and put out a, a an engine that did what Pokemon Go did, and then they partnered up with Pokemon Go to, for that copyright and put that copyright onto that engine, and that's what became Pokemon Go currently. Oh, so wow. the the, com- the company had an engine that they built, but then they added those characters I heard on about the engine, thus having a lot larger audience that was interested in that specific Absolutely. You know, I, I think I actually, I actually heard about um, the fact that um, their old format didn't actually work really well. Um, just, as you said, due to reach, you know, Pokemon has a, a much wider reach than um, than what was originally on the, in the engine. I see, I see. And you, you find that a lot with... Um, with games, you know, on on the iOS, um, there's a format. I, I don't quite remember the the name of the game, but my, my kid and I played quite a lot. And it's just, uh, it's on the iPad, and um, you, it's always someone running, and you're always yeah. trying to jump over obstacles and move from obstacles. So there's a set template, and you find um, we found um, the minions. Um, the game just looks exactly like that. Then he asked me to download another game, which was um, a DC type game. I think it was um, a Spider-Man game, which is the same format, but different, you know, different layout. So it seems like the engine um, is is copyrighted and it's then... So, so, so some... some uh, sorry, anyway, Mar- Marvel, Marvel owns Spider-Man and DC Comics owns, okay. owns Superman. That's yes. like Superman Batman. That's okay. But what happens is some companies, so for example, like Half-Life is a first-person shooter game, but that Half-Life engine that that supports Half-Life, they rent that engine to other first-person shooter companies. So there are game companies that develop game engines that are generic that enable other game companies to produce similar versions with that same game engine. And Half-Life is the best example of a first-person shooter where that engine supports other other games that are out there. Some games, um, they're created from scratch. I worked on a, a video game called Spore for Electronic Arts. Um, that was a single-person MMO, and, and Electronic Arts produced The Sims, they produced Madden, they produced they produced uh, Tiger Woods, but you know, the Spore was sort of like this first-person uh, MMO, single-person MMO to create your own creature. So in the gaming world, um, you know, you have, you have brand titles like, you know, Call of Duty and Halo and things like that, where the fans are are purely there, but then you also have the, you know, the character-driven stuff like the Batman, you know, video games and the Spider-Man video games and the film-based stuff. And in the gaming world, the, you know, the Call of Duties are the are the kings of the world. Or Halo is the biggest game, period. But it's a different brand um, fan base than a film fan base. Like they just did a Halo movie, I think, just came out. Yeah. Um, right. And as well as they did, I think, you know, recently. Other films based upon video games, but um, not every film property works well as a video game. We, I did posters. It was funny when I was working on. I did posters for Star Wars back in 1992 and 1994, and we ran out of images. We did like 30 po- posters, and they said, "What else do you want?" And I pointed to the wall. And I said, "I want the video game artwork." And they said, "No one's going to buy the video game artwork." I said, "No, people will want to buy this stuff." And I did posters on Rebel Assault and Tie Fighter and X Wing and. We showed this, and they lost their minds because they, the fans of the games want they want to collect the stuff that they're into. Okay, let's let's, so, let's let's take one deal of yours, if you don't mind, and let's kind of just deconstruct it. 
for the audience. Okay, okay so um, which would you like? I, I've got here Star Wars, Star Trek, Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men, The Simpsons, X-Files, Looney Tunes, and Animaniacs. Which would you want to talk about? That's a lot. Um, I guess we could probably use, well, actually, I don't know if I listed there, but they probably use, like, use Titanic, because Titanic was okay. probably one of the biggest things I've worked on. All right, Titanic. You approached the studio, right? Mm-hmm. How did you figure out, um, how did you find out about the movie, the upcoming movie? Because you, you, wh- when did you approach them? I approached them in the summer prior to um, the release of the movie, probably about six months before the movie came out. And again, I had my intention to go working with them was on a different film that they they were not interested in merchandising. So they, as a pivot, they said to me, well, and again, prior to me coming to them, I had a background in producing posters. I produced posters on, you know, 100 films previous to that. It wasn't like I was like my first walk in the parks. When I walked in the door, I was this, expert in in the poster world so do you design posters yourself or do you have a team that that, that do it for you I've done, I've done both i'm not a, i'm not a professional artist i've done some posters designing um but a lot of times i have a team of artists and and the studios provide me stuff as well but i have i'm not i don't call myself an artist but i, I can you have the eye. so when, okay. when i came, when i came to fox i walked in the door and i said look i want i'm interested in working on the, on the x-files movie and they said well we, we don't want to do any merchandise on that movie it's only about the movie we're going to leave that one alone. But what about Titanic? And I was like reticent because I didn't know much about Titanic. I had no idea what it was. And on top of that, they also wanted me to work on The Simpsons. So I said, okay, well, this will probably work. And, and, and again, they spent $200 million making the film. It was coming out in late December. I figured this is coming out in the last week of Christmas. There's mm-hmm. no way this movie's going to make any money. But I'll take a risk and, and, and take a shot. And so... It, you know, we ended up producing um, what are called chrome. We were called chrome, matted, little matted chromium prints, which sold for like between ten and fifteen dollars a piece. Okay, Let, let's yeah. let's let's take a, a little step back. So, you, what was your proposition in terms of estimated sales to to Fox for Titan? So with, with Fox, basically, I, I came to them with a proposal. Um, at the time, I believe I I thought I could sell a, around a half a million dollars of the product over two years on the movie. Okay. And I think we ended up coming to a, uh, I, I think we ended up increasing that to a, about a million dollars in gross revenue. Okay. Gross That's revenue at wholesale for what we ended up um, coming to. So I, I basically um, had to advance them um, about a hundred thousand dollars to guarantee them. Ten percent. Ten percent. That was about. It was one of my most of my poster deals were ten percent, but back then. So you had to only so, give them. So, so you, you had to give them fifty thousand or hundred thousand. You had to give them a fifty thousand upfront, and then a hundred thousand once sales started coming through. Correct. Exactly. Okay. okay. All right. And then, how many posters did you create for for, for them? Um, we probably did um, three different main posters. We did the main shot from Titanic. We did the bow shot with with. Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, with holding their, their arms out, mm. and then we did that, the international international posters. Okay. And um, so we did three different images. Yeah. And we sold them into Walmart and QVC and Suncoast and Musicland throughout the U.S. Okay. Once the film came out. So you you sold them a wholesale ten dollars a unit. So they're about. No, the wholesale, their wholesale would range between five and seven, between five dollars and seventy dollars and fifty cents. Retail was ten to fifteen. Okay. 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 And and then. Did you hit the numbers? Did you hit the million? You must have with given the sales. Yeah, we, we hit the, we hit the million and blew through it. You know, we, we we sold more than I don't remember the total gross revenue, but yes, it was more than the, it was much the million more. sales. 
And on, on top of that, in the, once we, the, as we were talking about Titanic, they said, look, you know, we also would like you to work on The Simpsons because we thought, you know, because of my background in animation, I could do some work with them too. But I really didn't understand about The Simpsons and how to make money with that. And about a year in, it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks. And I, on the style guide, there was an image of all 250 Simpsons characters on one poster. Oh, so we ended up doing a poster called Who's Who in Springfield that had all 250 of the Simpsons characters on it. Were they all labeled with, 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 with the Who's Who? Was it like an infographic? It, it, exactly. So we sold that poster primarily through the Fox website um, and a couple of other stores around the country. And that poster sold about 100,000 copies in about, about a year. In a year, and what kind okay. of deal did you? What was your estimate? How did that compare to to your um, to your projection? It was about half of what I expected on Titanic. Believe it or not, it actually did more because it had long, it had longer legs. Because Titanic was a one shot thing for the film release. The Simpsons was a TV show on every day, and so it's sort of a mixture of a, a you know a, a, a feature release and then a TV show. Um, but they were separate, but I did those deals simultaneously. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Okay, let's step back to the Titanic deal. Um, the question I had with regard to the Titanic deal was more or less the um, so distribution. Okay, so you said you, you sold through Walmart, and right. where else did you sell through? Um, the primary distribution was a place called Musicland, which is a Musicland uh, owns Sam Goody and Suncoast, and they do have a lot of music merchandise. I I had previously sold to QVC and Home Shopping Network. QBC put us on a, a, a Titanic show before the movie came out. We sold almost 4,000 posters in about three minutes on QBC. That's amazing. And so it was, you know, the fan, like I said, the fans, when they want to buy stuff, they want to buy stuff. Yeah. Back then there wasn't Amazon.com. There wasn't all this internet yeah. stuff yeah. going on. It was I'm, retail I'm, stores. Yeah, I'm just trying to lay out the distribution, the, the, the business. So you, because um, you, the, the first part obviously is, um, Finding opportunities, you know, and looking right. for 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 the license, the the, the license, the the licensors, you're the licensee, and then the second really is um, estimating sales, you know, um, and then negotiating a deal based off on sales that's fair right. for both parties, and then the third, where which is a bit fuzzy at the moment, is distribution. You know, how are you so, going to get? What do you have yeah, in your we'll, arsenal? Um, to figure out, I know for posters, you probably have uh, an array of um, potential, you know, um, you know, retailers or distribution channels. But from a um, from a listener standpoint, how do they sort of determine distributors, or do they go w with this age of the internet where we are at? Do they just go direct to consumer? Do they go through through Amazon, as you just um, suggested? Right. So. In, in, a, in a business proposal, or even not even selling to the, to the, the licensor, you're, you as a business are going to say, okay, we're going to sell this product through our own retail store, we're going to sell it through Amazon.com, we're going to sell it through um, Walmart, Target, Kmart, wherever you believe you're going to sell the product to, mm -hmm. you should be providing that information to the licensor because they need to know where their product's going to be sold. Some licensors may not want their product to be sold on Amazon. Some might only want it to be sold in a store, or some people might only want Amazon. They don't want to be sold in a store. So when the licensor comes to you, they they'll ask, "What's your distribution plan for these products?" And you'll give them a, a laundry list of, you know, we're going to sell it here, we're going to sell it there, we're going to try to sell it here, and you're going to give them the, the, at least the initial places of distribution. And some licensors will require you to let them approve those areas of distribution to sell the product. Um, 
especially in the world of the digital where you're dealing with mobile apps and mobile products, sometimes they, they will carve out little niches. The, the, the strangest one I ever did, I think, is we, we did a deal for Home Alone 2 where we, we went to back to Fox again and said, we want, to do a, we want to buy the licensing rights to produce products for one hour in one location. And that one location was television. QVC or which was QVC, correct? Okay. So we did an hour-long show on QVC just with Home Alone product. We couldn't sell it before, we couldn't sell it afterwards, but we could sell it for that one hour on television. And so we, you know, we did probably about eight hundred thousand dollars in that hour, which was a pretty good hour. But we didn't have the rights. If we didn't sell it, we were stuck with it all afterwards. We had to wow. produce all this stuff and take a risk that was going to work. So it's it's part of your business plan internally in a business where you you're going to actually sell the product. But it's also when you're negotiating a license, the distribution is important because they they want to know where you're going to sell us to. Do you already have commitments from this retailer or this online place? And if it's an online place, do they, do they know how much they're going to sell and also what your marketing plan is? What How much advertising are you going to spend? How do you plan to get the word out? Um, if you're going to do PR, again, why I call myself a PR company. But um, they want to know all of how that works because they don't want any kind of surprises once the product comes out okay. um, that you're selling to XYZ company and they, they didn't approve that. Okay, Mark, I have a question. Um, you're a veteran in this. You, you've, you've worked with over 175 feature films. Now, for, from a listener's standpoint, um, my listeners are probably asking, what's the success rate um, from... Uh, um, from a risk standpoint as an entrepreneur, you know, as a business, um, how many companies do we need to approach? So for every 10 companies we approach, um, for every, say, 10 brands, big brands that we approach, um, how often will we get it right? And what, so, how should we factor it in our overall sort of business plan? So, you know, licensing is a very, um, it's, not, it's not an unrisky endeavor because when you're buying the copyrights from and getting these contracts from these companies, um, I, I'll give you an example. I mean, if you were interested in making your own mobile game, for example, and you went to a big studio and said, I want to make a, a mobile game from this new co movie coming out, you know, you're not the size of, a, of, of Electronic Arts or you're not the size of these other mobile game companies. And those companies are paying them multi-millions of dollars to get those rights to produce those things or they're doing them themselves. So you really have to be an expert at what you're doing in order for them to even talk to you sometimes. I see. Because um, like the, the best example I could give you, and I, I've never made watches before, but if you were if you wanted an idea to make a, a watch, let's say for, um, I don't know, Disney. Disney's got a licensee already. It's already selling a half a billion dollars a year in watches. So just because you have an idea to do an individual watch, they have an existing company that makes watches for them. You would have to make... It be, not necessarily better, but you'd have to sell more than that other person did to be able to acquire that type of license. Okay. So some some companies will segment and let smaller businesses get smaller licensing deals, and other companies like when I when I had the the art licenses for like Titanic, other people would say, "Look, I also want poster rights on Titanic." No, Mark's got to call Mark up, and he can he can do something. So it, it, it's. Um, some people they'll give one license to and they own that license for two years and that's it. Other times they'll give that license to multiple people. What I would suggest on a risk basis is that look at your products that you're putting out, look at what your budgets are and if you can afford an extra five or 10% of your wholesale sales price to get this 
copyright can be added to your product. If it's a benefit to your product, if it accelerates, typically with a typical license, it's going to accelerate sales between 150 to 500 percent than a generic product. But no one's going to buy a generic poster for me. They're buying Titanic. They're buying the imagery of what it is. So the licenses for me were key to what was driving my my sales. Um, for an individual company out there that's looking to understand if it's worthwhile to them, they should look and see, you know, look at the cost-benefit ratio and say, look, if I bought a license and it's going to cost me $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 extra, is it going to increase my sales? Am I going to sell more product from it? Am I going to put this money out and I'm going to sell nothing? Uh, that can happen too. There's not, they don't, when you buy a license, it doesn't guarantee you're going to sell merchandise. Um, so, and I worked on a movie called Rover Dangerfield that never came out. It was out for three days. So we Did sold you nothing pay for, on you paid, you paid for it? We paid for licensing rights. Yeah. And so, some films do not always pan out, and you're still paying those licensing fees. Okay. But what ends up happening in general is that as you get into it, you will buy a license for the copyrights that you believe are going to work. Yeah. And not every, it's like it's like a film studio. Not every movie is going to work. Not every TV show is going to work. Not every video game is going to work. Um, so would you suggest? Um, so for starting out, okay. So there's some entrepreneurs listening to this show who are doing okay you know, or pretty well, right. you know, selling right. products. So, so maybe they're doing a million dollars a month, you know, in revenue on a product or a suite of products. And um, they're thinking, well, you know, if I could accelerate sales by one to 500% for my um, second time, it's happening for my, um, for, for my brand, for, for these suites of products um, or my brand, you know, why not just um, explore? Would you suggest they, take the route of an upcoming movie or would you suggest they go for something evergreen like the simpsons so to there, start there's, out? Two, there's two schools of thought when you have a feature film there's a large amount of visibility and a large amount of, of marketing that's done on a big major tentpole movie um an evergreen property like the simpsons is going to sell year in and year out i mean i sold looney tunes products for almost nine years and there wasn't anything driving it other than typically the cartoons around television. So um, it's not going to have the, the acceleration that a feature film would have. Mm -hmm. But you're, you've got to buy a brand, you get involved in licensing that's going to uh, enhance your product, not just to slap a label on something. Because if you just buy a license to slap a label on it, it may or may not work. It ha there has to be some sort of symbi symbiotic connectivity to what you're producing. And then also... You know, as you're making these proposals to the licensor or if you're working with a licensing agent that's representing you to these entities, is test it out. Go out and talk to your client base. Say, look, if I produce a, you know, a, a Simpsons version of what the, my product is, would you buy it? If you get a lot of people said yes, then you, you, you probably got a winner on your hands. Okay. If they say no, you probably don't. It's not so much the Simpsons wouldn't sell, but your product is, each product is different. Um, you know, whether it's a coffee mug, a T-shirt. A you know a a, a a you know an iPhone app an Android app or you know even emojicons. There's a lot of different categories out there that weren't there weren't 20 25 years ago, and people are negotiating for lots of different things. A typical movie or even TV show could have anywhere from 15 to 20 thousand different companies that are producing anywhere from 100 to 200 thousand different products for different different things. So you really have to uh, you have to do your research, but then you also have to work with it people that have expertise in these areas so that you can navigate 
these waters and, and, and make sure that the money you're spending and time you're spending is worthwhile for your business, specific business and business model. And sometimes it, it, it makes sense. Other times the, the, the business model can't withstand the cost of something. I, I was working on one of the video game projects and one of the licensors asked me for a million dollar advance. We didn't expect to sell more than $100,000 of the products. We didn't, the, the, the advance that they wanted didn't match where we could sell. So thus we weren't able to, you know, complete that deal. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. I have an, a question. Um, so with regards to the, um, the, there's some pretty established sources for finding licenses, um, movies, TV shows, um, in the age we're at, where, as you said, the social media superstars on YouTube, Snapchat, or right. you know, Instagram, um, what are the sources of potential licensing opportunities do you think entrepreneurs can keep an eye on um, to give them success, just like you had with um, Titanic, which right. was, was so, a hit? So one of, the, one of the easy ways is there's, a, there's an organization called LIMA, which is the Licensing Industry Merchandise Association okay. um, that, that has websites and they also have conventions around the con uh, once a year. And that, at that convention, there is literally 4,000 companies with probably 20,000 licensing properties. So by either visiting those websites or visiting that convention, you can see the landscape of what's about to come out, whether it's six months from now, two years from now, or even currently. Um, and then there's also, you know, people that will work with companies like mine like, as licensing agents to help you to understand, okay, you know, you're planning on coming out with a product for this Christmas or next next spring or next summer, you know, what's the best way of get, adding a licensing um, opportunity to my product to make sure that it's going to sell through in stores? Um, and so, you know, the licensing agent can help you to sort of make those introductions and get into those places and also tell you if... If that is possible, I mean, if somebody wants to do a, you know, a, a, a video game or some bigger type of project, it can be more complicated because if they've got already deals in place, it might not be possible. Even if you have the money, sometimes they don't, the, the licensing rights aren't available to you. So that's why it's important to work with professional people that understand the landscape so that you're not, you're, you're buying into um, a, a situation where it's going to benefit your company and benefit the scenario and, and, and everybody's happy, so to speak. Not every licensing deal panned out for me. I worked on a lot of movies. Some things worked, some things didn't, but I, was, I, was, I wasn't sitting on the, on, the, on the bench watching. I was participating. So the ones that worked did, the ones that didn't, didn't. And it was part of uh, the cost of doing business. Yeah, I suppose be, besides um, entertainment, there, there could be sports. Um... Yeah, the, the, the sports industry, like back you know, in, in you know, the UK where you are, there, soccer is the big, the biggest thing out there. Absolutely. FIFA is, is huge. And so you have Ronaldo merchandise, you have merchandise for the teams. There's merchandising sold. There's merchandise being sold in the, in the actual stadiums. There's merchandising being sold online. There's merchandise that's sold um, elsewhere. And there's a slew of companies that, as you've seen, make all these different products. The sports industry, sports licensing is a big, big world. And so... Um, you know, the, 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 I, I believe, I, I don't know the specific numbers right now, but I think it's almost $250 billion a year internationally as an overall life licensing industry. Entertainment's a component of that. Sports is a component of that. Online's a component of that. Um, there's also like shows, like there was a show I went to called VidCon here in 
Los Angeles. VidCon was all about the YouTubers and these YouTubers that have millions of fans that are out there. And they are also starting to make their own merchandise and produce their own products. I would think YouTubers would want to do it themselves because I see, you know, um, like in the fashion space, some have labels now, some have right. hair accessories, some have um, beauty products. So my thoughts, you know, and I'm so ignorant here, would have been um, they got approached by a manufacturer, they slap their label in it and then they get a percentage of all sales. But could licensing be be at play here for YouTubers? So there, there's a couple of schools of thought. You know, there, there are companies like Cafe Press and Zazzle that make custom-made merchandising programs for people. So sometimes a YouTuber or a person that has a website presence will plug into a Zazzle or Cafe Press and create their own merchandise. Okay. Other times they might get approached by a, a brand manufacturer that wants them to, you know, I, I don't I don't work for this company, but I, I, have, an, I have an Adidas product here. Yeah. You know, if they if they give that product to that YouTuber and they say, look, I'm going to pay you X amount of money for that to, 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 to endorse my, my product onto your YouTube channel or your Instagram feed or your, your you know, your, your Facebook feed, they're paying like an advertising fee for that YouTuber to promote that product. And that they actually have to show that those are actually paid endorsements these days. They have to make sure that it's out there. But there are people making a lot of money, whether they're making their own product or endorsing other products as influencers. The influencers are out there that, you know, like the you know, Kim Kardashians of the world and the, 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 the reality TV stars, they have a gigantic social media following. If they say that they're going to buy this product or wear this piece of clothing, their followers are going to follow suit. So that's, that's like I said, that didn't exist 20 years ago, when I, 25 years ago when I started into this industry. But it's become a bigger component. And I think some of the, the bigger YouTube um stars are looking at more and more of those opportunities yes. within their own environment as well as externally as well yeah especially in the, in the health and fitness space i um i i, I do a bit of um, weight lifting and right. i i consume a lot of content on youtube and right. um, every sort of major youtuber with two hundred thousand plus um you know followers will have they start out first being brand ambassadors for for, right. for, for, for brands for, for you know known fitness brands and then they eventually evolve to having their, their suite of products. You know, um, they'd have health supplements, then they'd have, you know, um sportswear, they'd have gym you know, gym wear, you know, gym accessories and stuff like that. It's mm -hmm. I always see this evolution. So the biggest stars would have everything, you know, from hats to i'll um, give you a perfect example you know the, the taibo guy the, the taibo had those those videos that came out there was, and also there there's a lot of like i said in, in individual niches there's huge amounts of money that people can make if they do brand extensions because if you're you, if you have a hundred thousand followers a million followers 10 million followers you have an audience there you don't have to have that's your distribution that's your that's you don't have to go out and spend your advertising dollars and money you can actually Look, you know, I you know, I know this 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 protein supplement works, or I've custom made this protein supplement for my fans, and they put their name and their label on it. They'll, they'll go to a, a custom manufacturer and manufacture those those products, and then sell them through that. Some people want to go through and make their own stuff and create their own own individual brand products. Other people they just want to partner up with existing existing um, famous companies that can actually do that. The hard part is is putting those deals together because a YouTuber, they're so busy being videotaped 
but they don't have the bandwidth to necessarily negotiate those type of deals. And they have to, they also have to make sure that it's going to make the money and make it worth their while to endorse the product. They don't want, they want to make sure they're endorsing something that they're going to see some benefit from it, whether it's physical benefit for it or, or monetization of their channel. Yeah. 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 So, so they, they seem like, you know, prime targets, not necessarily targets, wrong word, but prime candidates for, for brand licensing, I suppose. They are, they are, they are. Okay. 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 Brilliant. It's, it's been, um, just one final question and then we wrap up with what I call a lightning round. Um, if you're okay with that, what types of products would you suggest listeners go into from a licensing standpoint? So, um, let's assume this is, I know you talked about, um, being an expert or having that, um, experience to get the, um, the attention or audience of, um, the, the licensors, but, um, from, um, from a blank canvas standpoint, where do you see the path of least resistance from a product selection standpoint for, um, for, for brand, for, for, for brand licensing? So if I was just a new, new entrepreneur, not necessarily a new entrepreneur, but if I was an entrepreneur looking to, to go into licensing, what are easy sort of, I know easy would mean a lot of competition, but um, what do you think so would be the first thing? I, the first thing I would do is do some specific, like like ground research, market research. If you have an existing product, I would literally try to mock up a version with with the brand brand sample of what you're trying to talk make and show it to people you work with. Show it to your consumers, not publicly but privately, and say test it and see. What, if I if I bought a, a a license for this movie or TV show or even YouTuber for that matter. Would you buy this product if I had a if I had a, a character on this on this this shirt or a character on this uh, book or whatever it might mean? Do your research first before you go out and, and contract and get a licensing deal because you're going to spend save yourself tens of thousands of dollars in in research. It's because you can buy a license and if it doesn't work, you're still contractually obligated to pay that money. Mm. Find out if there's a demand for that that character or that copyright on your product. You know, go out there and, and ask the consumers. Don't don't you know say make the product and, and make take that risk, but go out there and ask them what's going on. Go on your social media feeds and say, you know, if I made other versions of our product or if I got a promotional deal with this company, do you think this would benefit my business? And if they say yes and you get enough of a, a response, that's great. If you get no response, that's probably not the direction you should take. But use your own consumer base to find out what the best pathway is. And then once you know that pathway and once you're con- convinced that that's the way to go, then go out and negotiate or find a, you know, an external company um, that will represent you to find you a licensing deal. But just don't say, okay, I'm going to go out and get this movie because I know this movie's going to be big. And then you go out and make the product and, it, and it's great, but then you don't have the marketplace and the, the fans don't want to buy it because you're, 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 you got the right, right, wrong copyright on the right product. Mm. So you want to make sure that there's a, there's a, a synergy, so to speak, that makes sense for your product. I, like I said, I, I, I did a lot of things that worked and a lot of things that didn't work, but we were constantly testing and testing the market and asking what the fans want. You know, I did Batman product for almost nine years. We were constantly trying to re, re-energize uh, the fan base because we were constantly trying to sell back to that same Batman fan. And so it's just important that you know your audience, and if you know your audience well enough, it makes sense to spend the extra money because you can sell even more than what you have. But you just need to make sure that the 
the partnerships that you choose and the brands you choose to work with are enhancing of your business and going to enhance your your return on investment and your your sales and not just saying, okay, I bought this license and now I have a deal with this company or that company just to have it. That's not that's not going to benefit you other than part of your resume. A lot of the, the companies that I show on my LinkedIn profile and whatnot are, I made them a lot of money on those different brands and I, you know, I, I but you know, they, they trusted us to uh, come through with stuff that was going to work. I, mean, I can't tell you 100% of it did, but we were, I, we did a, a, a survey there. Just in the art and poster world, I sold over $70 million of the product in about seven and a half, eight years back in the 90s alone. So, um, you know, the other thing that I showed you via email is we, we did a, a, a program for two nonprofits where we, we generated, we used the licensing revenue to benefit the nonprofits and it was a proof of concept to prove that the nonprofits could make money by selling licensed merchandising to bring in funds for the nonprofit. It makes a lot that of was, sense. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. The nonprofits wouldn't think about licensing as a big way of making revenue and we sort of proved them wrong by producing a, uh, a product for the, for the Hard Rock Cafe. So it's a matter of, like I said, making sure that it makes sense to you. But, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, don't know... Um, have an idea, reach out to experts, you know, hire experts, consult with experts so that you're not spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to buy these licensing rights and work with people that understand your marketplace. And thus, you're going to be able to enhance your business as opposed to uh, um, just doing it blindly without any kind of knowledge. Gotcha. 100% agree with you. Um, yeah, 100% agree with you. Uh, well, we're going to share your details um, on there because, um, yeah, speaking to someone like you initially before getting into this will be very useful for, for anyone listening if, if they're interested in, you know, um, brand licensing. Okay, let's get into our, our um, one other question is more or less um, the unit economics, the, the expectations of um, profit. So when you get in a deal and you... Um, expect to sell, you know, um, say a million dollars worth of goods, you know, over a two-year period, um, what do you expect to receive net? What, how do you sort of gauge from your perspective that when I sell a million, you know, dollars worth of goods or a million units of this product, um, you know, how does it sort of ripple down to to your to, to, to net profit that you keep? How, how do you sort of, you know, work out the economics there? So um, let's say you just sold the, the, the exact amount of mil, a million dollar million dollars you plan on selling. You'll know from that amount of money how much profit you have, how much licensing revenue you, you, you're owed, and what what it is. Your contract locks you into it. Let's in my ten percent deals, um, ten percent of royalties, whether I sold a million, whether I sold five million dollars. So if I go and blow beyond my guarantee, I'm going to still owe that same ten percent, even though I haven't paid it yet. And I have to pay that to my licensor. So, your projections of your your net growth, your 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 your, your personal profits of your business are going to be locked into the, to the amount of revenue you have. And as you grow, and if you go beyond what you projected, your profit margins might actually increase internally because your cost of goods are, are less at a larger volume. But you're locked into that licensing fee. In some situations, sometimes they might charge you. A higher licensing fee and higher revenues if you reach those levels. Okay. So it's about negotiating something that's equitable for you know they're not going to give you a licensing deal for two percent, but they're not going to also charge you sixty percent. It's going to be a it's going to be applicable to your industry and what can be applied. But usually, 
um, by applying a brand license to a generic product, it can increase sales between 100 and 500 percent, depending on how much acceleration that brand gives to that product. The perfect example was Titanic. If I sold posters of myself, no one's going to buy them. If I'm selling posters of Titanic, it's the biggest movie of all time. I think there might be a couple people might be interested. Yeah. So if the brands can drive your sales, you have to look at it as an advertising expense above and beyond what you're doing. But it's a fixed advertising expense for that product line. Yeah. And if it works and it goes beyond the million dollars, you're in, you're in yeah. gravy. You're I, I, I suppose my question is was kind of like, um, as a business, um, how much, I guess, what you have at the back of your head with regards to the net, you know, um, for the business. Um, is, is, is this... Is this business kind of like, um, does he operate on like a 25%? Okay, based on hitting your targets, you know, just meeting, just about hitting your targets. So you usually typically expect to make 50% or 20%. So, you know. so in, in, there's a couple of situations. Now, that makes certain sense in different industries. If you're a wholesaler, you're, you're selling a product at, let's say, 50% of retail, and your profit's below that wholesale sales price. But some licensing deals are for selling retail at, Online. So let's say you had you were going to produce merchandise and sell it on the web, and you were going to sell a product at retail, not at wholesale. Your licensing fees are going to be applicable to that retail number, not the wholesale number. Um, going in, you know how much profit is going to each each different product category. Whether you're making T-shirts, hats, posters, video games, there's certain profit margins that people are sort of used to in those industries. And that, that individual business should know what their profit margins are with a generic product without a licensing added to it. Every product company that's making stuff has an advertising budget. They usually have to, to some degree. A lot of times they'll take that advertising budget and apply it to licensing because instead of buying you know advertisements in magazines or advertisements on Google or advertising somewhere else, they'll buy the brand license and use their advertising dollars to pay for that license, um, and that way they don't have to advertise that they're working on this product because there are there's already a built-in knowledge base of it. So it's just it's taking the same dollars and moving from advertising into licensing, and thus their their profit margins should be the same if if they can equate that type of advertising in, in, and move it into licensing. But gotcha. each individual industry has got different profit margins. Whether you're selling a T-shirt, whether you're selling paper, whether you're selling a book, a soundtrack. A video game. It's it's all across the board, but it's. I would expect for an individual out there listening to this, their profit margins should be the same. They could technically take less profit margins if the license costs them money, but if they sell more product, they're going to make more in volume than they're going to lose in profit margin. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right. That's about wraps everything up. Let's just finish off with the lightning round where I ask a question and then you answer with just a single single answer. Okay, sure. So I'm going to go for about six questions, and we're going to start with what are your future plans? Um, my future plans. Um, I well, the the immediate future plans might get, be getting some sleep because it's early early in the morning <laughs> it's here. Five a.m. guys. Five a.m. Um, I I do a lot of work in what I what I call the Internet of Things um, and technologies. I have a um, a website called Discoverable that we're we're working on next generation um, next generation technologies for for brand licensors. Um, I work with a lot of companies that want to, you know, break into this industry. They want to get more involved in licensing and understand the marketing of it. And because 
I've done so much in the past. I, I love consulting and working in those fields and, and, and using my expertise to apply to their to their specific niche of what that is, whether it's digital, whether it's physical consumer products. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I said I've, I've gone through the wars. I've, I've been through them. I just want to use that knowledge base to help others and, uh, you know, support the cause. Gotcha. Gotcha. How do you hire people? How do I hire people? Um, I'm actually, I, I had, when I was running these other companies, I had 150 people working for me. Right now, it's just me. I don't have any specific employees that I hire. Um, I do work almost sometimes as a virtual CMO for other companies where they bring me in when they want to market stuff or they want to do things. But um, I, I don't have a, I don't have a staff. They're just, they're just me right now. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm not a, uh, Brilliant. I'm not a big company myself, but I work on, I work on a lot of things simultaneously. Okay. I, I should have a staff, but right now it's just me. Okay. What are your three indispensable tools for managing your business? Um, three indispensable tools. Um, I would say Skype is one because Skype enables us to talk because I'm here in California. You're in, you're in the UK, Absolutely. so that enables you to communicate. Um, I, I believe also is communication is probably key in terms of dealing with business, a lot of people do not communicate things that are happening. It's important, whether they're good, bad, or, or otherwise, to be able to talk to people and, 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 and get things out. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. If you ask questions of other people, you might save yourself time and money and energy just by little communication, whether it's individual people in, in, the, in the world or even communicating it out there in terms of getting the word out about your product. But I, I believe that people need to be, you know, as, as forthright and honest with themselves about what they're doing as a business. And if they go out and reach out for help and need that, that's the second one. The third one, I believe, probably is um, I love using LinkedIn. LinkedIn has got the most amazing connections of people. If, you know, if you're interested, look, look me up on LinkedIn. I, I, I have uh, You can see what I've done. But the amount of people that are on LinkedIn, are, are, are it's a vast business network that enables you to plug into a lot of different businesses. Um, to understand what's going on without having to find people, whether you're in, in California or, or anywhere else in the world, for that matter. The, the recurring theme is communication, Skype, communication, yes. and, and LinkedIn. Yes. Awesome. All right. Um, what's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Setback gives the biggest feedback. Um, when, when, we were, when we were producing the Compa Career software, we walked in and showed the product to... Um, a lot of different companies, um, some of which, you know, we were negotiating user-generated user content rights in, 19, in 2004 mm -hmm. for digital. They thought we were out of our minds. They said, there's no way we're going to let you put a, a word bubble over Spider-Man and let you do that. Marvel allowed us to do that. Other companies were scared to death of us. They said, well, we can't put our characters online because who, who's going to want to put a word bubble over, over these characters? Well, we proved them wrong because, you know, obviously with social media and user generated content, that's where all things are about. But we had to push through a lot of no's, you know, years of no's to get where we wanted to go because we saw the vision of what we wanted to do, but everybody said, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. Don't listen to other people. You gotta listen to your own internal instincts and have a belief in your own business because if other people say no, you're either, they're either completely correct or they're completely wrong. And in that specific situation, Everybody that told us we were wrong, we won awards for what we did. And again, oh. user-generated content now is a big deal. Ten years ago, it was like Mars. I was t I took what I used to call Martian meetings. They're like, you want to do what? You want 
you want to let a kid go out there and, and put a little word bubble over that? There's no way they're going to let you do that. Well, we got a, we, we, we built the Charlotte's Web Storybook Creator. Kids can make their own Charlotte's Web Stories, and it's in the it's in the DVD. If you have the Charlotte's Web DVD, that software is in every DVD that Paramount put out. So it was a challenge because everybody we showed it to said no, but we pushed through and we got it done. And uh, you know, like I said, if you have a good idea, you can find an audience for it. Sure. Don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you're having problems out there and you can't. Um, you can't find the answers. Reach out to experts. Find people that are local to you. Find people that are online. Um, there are people that understand where they're at. And some things aren't possible. Some things are, are, are part of the sky and it, they'll never happen. But you have to walk before you run. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could choose, yeah, it's a good thing about um, you know finding the experts, local experts, or you know any expert for, for that matter to, to, to share their, right. their, their experience. Okay, if you could choose a single book or resource, the final question that has made the highest impact on how you view building your business and growth, which would it be? Um, building my business and growth. Um, there's a couple of things. I, I really um, I really like the books of Malcolm Gladwell, like The Tipping Point. Yeah. Um, those those type of business books are very valuable to understand. You know the hill that you're trying to go up as a business. We're all trying to grow our businesses and yeah. and bring ourselves more stuff. But the hard part is is that we're all looking forward and we're all looking to you know to make more sales, to grow our business, to hire more people, and to build stuff. You have to also um, take stock of where you're what you're at and where you're at, and not always do the same thing. You know, it's getting out of your comfort zone. Is healthy because you don't know what's out there and you don't know what else is even possible. You're very focused on your own business. Um, it's important to sort of understand your industry. You know, you know, visit industry trade shows, see what everybody else is doing. You, it, you'll come up with more ideas and also speak to, at these events. If you have the ability to speak in an event in your industry, mm. do it because right. you never know who's going to be listening to you that might be interested in what you're exactly what you're doing. You, you don't right. know. I mean. No. Even people that don't have budgets, by going up on YouTube and going up online, reach out to people. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the, the tools that are available to the average company without budgets between YouTube and social media is amazing. Just use those technologies to test the waters and use those technologies to communicate with people. And it's, you know, just don't be afraid. I mean, it's like, you know, you have to be... Uh, it, don't be afraid to, 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 to fail. If, you, if you're failing, you're doing something right because you'll get to the, to the wins at some point. I agree. I absolutely agree. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Mark. But before you go, um, how I, I have your website here. It's um, mikepoliti.com. It's M-E-R-K-P-O-L-I-T-I.com. I'll add it to the show notes, um, people, if you want to get in touch with Mark. But Mark, um, are there any other ways people can get in touch with you? Yeah, so for in terms of licensing and merchandising and whatnot, I would suggest them to go to um, mppublicrelations.com okay. as a website. That's the, probably the best way to reach me. Okay. Um, they can also reach me um, in my direct email is mppublicrelations at gmail.com um, or look me up on LinkedIn or Facebook or other social media. My, okay. my com is, is another um, online business that I have that works in the travel industry. It's a okay. whole other, other world, but that's... Uh, um, but yeah, for, if, like I said, if people have questions, I, I don't mind to you know ask answer things. Like I said, licensing is an amazing industry. It can be very expensive. It can be very risky. But it can also be very rewarding because you can you can you know by renting copyrights and getting contracts with people, it enables your business to get 
visibility. I didn't go in and sign licensing deals to work on these films to be famous. I wasn't, that wasn't my goal. My goal was, I thought, you know, it'd be awesome to, you know, sit there and come up with consumer products. I just got really, really good at it. But, um, you know, it's an amazing way to, you know, get credibility for your business, whether you do or don't have a license. And if you don't have the budgets, try things out on Cafe Press. Try your brand ideas using Cafe Press and Zazzle and things like that before you go out and make 10,000 or 100,000 or something. And that way those, those individual products can be your test grounds for a bigger campaign or a bigger program. Awesome, awesome. Mark, thanks again for sharing all your insights and, and brand license and appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me today. Thank you very much for uh, the phone call. Cheers.